Well, good morning, church. How we doing? I was going to make a joke about the Super Bowl, but I'm not even going to touch it. So listen, we are in week three of exploring the book of 1 John. And again, the backstory of what we're seeing there is this. So the events in 1 John are happening some 30 years after the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And enough time has gone by that there are people who are pushing a false, pushing a knockoff version of Jesus pushing a message about Jesus that is not true, and people are getting confused. And so John is writing 1 John because he doesn't want people to get confused. He doesn't want you to be confused. And so John is chasing after, how do I make sure that I know the real Jesus? How do I make sure that I am following the real Jesus? How will this following the real Jesus play out in my life? Because for John... Following Jesus, knowing God, and the way that we live our lives, these two things cannot be separated. Knowing God cannot be divorced from obeying God. And so we started to see that last week as we were in John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, where where John is talking about living in spiritual darkness. Living in sin, making sin your home address, getting super comfortable with the sin that is in your life. Claiming that we have no sin, claiming that we have not sinned. John is saying if if how you are living your life is not matching up to what you say that you believe, then you are only fooling yourself. Last week, if you were here, we talked about how John calls us to a lifestyle of owning the sin in our lives, of calling out sin as sin, owning that sin. Again, that's confession and turning from that sin and turning to Christ, bringing our entire lives, bringing our sin to God. Why carry the shame of your sin? Why carry the guilt of your sin? Why carry that sin that is going to inflict pain in your life when freedom and forgiveness can be yours through the blood of Jesus? To make this point real for us last week, I asked the question, do you struggle with sin in your life? And I said, if that's you, will you raise your hand for me? And so how many of us last week raised our hands? All right, every single one of us raised our hands. So let's start the conversation there because John is not done pushing us when it comes to the sin that we all struggle with. Our sins, not just those things that we do that are wrong, but our sinful attitudes, our sinful, our sinful thoughts, our sinful beliefs, our sin-stained hearts. The sin that you fall into on a daily basis. Those habitual sins that that you go back to over and over and over again. Those sins that were not an issue for you before, but suddenly you found yourself falling into those. Those iceberg sins where, where you can see the sin that is at the tip of the iceberg, but then over time you realize that the real issue there is that there is a sin underneath that you have not been able to see, a sin that is underneath the sin that you can see. We talked about this last week. 
and the many, many ways that you and I downplay our sin because at its core, we've made us, we've made you and I this ever-changing standard instead of making God's holiness the standard. And so if we go back to that question from last week, do you struggle with sin in your life? And, And we take that question one step further, That question that as I asked that, you raised your hand. My question for this morning is, as you raised your hand for me, what specific sin or sins came to mind? See, last week we talked about confessing that sin, owning that sin. But what is your plan moving forward? How do you plan to fight for obedience, walk in obedience in that area? If I take what John is about to show us this morning and I drop that into a question, the question is this, do you want to find greater obedience and freedom in your struggle against sin? Only you can answer that question. And so if this is you this morning, then John has something for you. But before we see that from our scripture, let's pray for our time in God's word together. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we open your word, as we look at your scriptures, may we clearly see you. May we clearly see the way that you have loved us through your son, Jesus, that we would surrender to everything that we see in your word. And we do this because we want to see you glorified. And so we give all of this to you. Show us Allow us to respond with a yes and surrender. We ask all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So this morning we are in 1 John chapter 2 starting in verse 1. John writes, My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. The idea behind this word advocate that we see in this verse is that it is the sinless Jesus who is your active helper in your struggle against the sin in your life. There's a legal sense to this word advocate. It's the idea of a courtroom because that's where you and I find an advocate, find a lawyer. Someone who presents evidence on on your behalf. And the evidence that Jesus presents for you, if you are a follower of Christ, the evidence that Jesus presents on your behalf is his truly righteous record. His record of perfect obedience that gets credited to you. His perfect record becomes your perfect record when you put your trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Your sins have been covered by the sacrifice of Jesus. We see that in verse 2. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins and not only our sins but the sins of all the world. Maybe the Bible that you're reading this morning in verse 2 has that big word propitiation. And propitiation simply means a sacrifice that atones, a sacrifice that appeases, that satisfies the wrath of God against sin. 
which is to say that on the cross, if you are a follower of Jesus, God's holy judgment against your sin was poured out on Jesus. And in that act, God's wrath against your sin was fully satisfied so that we might come into relationship with God without a single fault. Christ's sacrifice is fully sufficient to cover the sins of all of those that come to him in forgiveness. And so now, with with having covered that, John jumps back into his call to you and I for obedience in verse 3. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. Again, John is, is, is not going to allow us to get away with separating knowing God from the way that we live our lives. Verse 5, but those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. For this, I think actually the ESV, the English Standard Version, does a better job translating this verse. Which says, but whoever keeps his word, God's word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. A little bit harder to understand, but what it means is that, that, that only as someone experiences God's love are they able to respond to that love and to keep God's commandments. It's how we know we are living in Him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. The thing that I find fascinating about these verses is that John is absolutely driving your need for obedience, but John links that obedience to so much more. So much more than you better try really, really hard to keep yourself in line. John John is giving you so much more than you better try really, really hard to keep yourself in line when it comes to whatever that sin is that popped into your mind last week when we raised our hands and we said, yeah, I struggle with sin. To see this, let's jump back into verses 3, 4, 5, and 6. And notice what John does with obedience in these verses. He, He ties that obedience back to something. I'm gonna mark this up so we can see it. So in verse 3, we see obey his commandments. But John links that back to knowing him. Verse 4, we have the same thing, just the negative side of the equation. In in verse 5, again, we have obey God's word. And in verse 5, John links that to loving him. In verse 6, we see, we see living their lives as Jesus did. And John links that to living in God. Let me explain what we're seeing here in, in, in verse 6, just to, just to make this clear. The, the word live that we see in that phrase, live in God, is the same thing that we just saw from the worship team when they read for us John chapter 15. That idea of remaining in him, of of keeping connected to God. So that those who who are are, are connected to God should live their lives as Jesus did. It's Jesus that sets the standard on on obedience to God's commandment. That's why verse 1 called Jesus out as being truly righteous. Jesus shows us what perfect obedience looks like. So again, living in God, staying connected to God, absolutely has obedience in view. 
Now it's pretty hard to follow my scribble. So let's take my scribbles and throw them onto a slide. If we do that, here's what we see. Obeying God links to knowing God. Obeying God links to loving God. Obeying God links to living in God, staying connected to God. And so as you look at obedience in your life and you say, man, obedience for me in the face of my sin is such a struggle. John is going to say to you, listen, before you go there, before we go there and we talk about your struggle with that sin, before we talk about your obedience, let's back the bus up and talk about your knowing God, your loving God, and your living in him, your staying connected to him. Because the thing that compels you to want to, to, to know God, to love God, to stay connected to God, John anchors all of that to Jesus. Have you picked up on all the ways that John has been talking about Jesus in this book? We are only 16 verses in, and, and John so far has given us this picture of Jesus who existed from the beginning, who is able to be experienced by his followers, who is the word of life, who is life itself, who is eternal life, who was with the Father. Jesus who proclaimed this message that John is now passing along to us. Jesus who cleanses us from all sin. Jesus who provides the means for God, who is faithful and just, for God to forgive us and cleanse us. Jesus who is our advocate, our active helper. Jesus who pleads our case before the Father, who is truly righteous, who is the completely sufficient sacrifice for our sins. Jesus who is our perfect example. That very last one, perfect example doesn't just mean that he's our pattern. That's absolutely there, but there's more to this. Because Jesus obeyed God perfectly, that's the thing that allows Jesus to be our sacrifice, his perfect record of obedience. And even when we screw it up, this is good news, even when we fail to live up to Christ's example, when we still get it wrong, the good news is, jumping back to verse 1 that we just saw, it's Jesus, because of his perfect obedience, who is pleading our case for us before the Father, pointing out that, yeah, you just got it wrong, pointing out that sin, and he's saying, no, no, that sin is covered by my blood. So 16 verses into this book, and John gives you 14 snapshots of who Jesus is. What he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do for you as you place your trust in him. So John very clearly is talking about obedience, but he's, he's backed us up to knowing God, to loving God, to, to staying connected to God. And then he's, he's backed us even further by showing us Jesus. So what is John up to? John is inviting you to be captured, captivated, amazed by Christ. 
Because as you are amazed by Jesus more and more, that is going to compel you to want to know him. To want to love him. To want to stay connected to him more and more. And that's the thing that is going to compel you to obedience. So if we go back to our question for this morning, do you want to find greater obedience and freedom in your struggle against sin? To that question, John is going to tell you, so let me give you an illustration. Let's see if this is going to work. I've told you before that I trail run, which literally means running through the woods. So because I'm at church for a significant part of my day on Saturday and on Sunday, I take a weekday off. Usually that's Monday. This past week, because Cindy and Luke were home from school, I made my day off. It was Tuesday. So my day off, and I could have sat home on my couch, but I went for a run. Do you remember what the weather was like on Tuesday? Kind of like what it is right now outside. It was cold. It was windy. It was snowy. And after running uphill for about two miles, I got to this spot. And that video, I shot this on my iPhone. I don't think we have the sound to this, which is good because it's just me huffing and puffing. <laughs> the thing that compels me into that struggle, that compels me to get up off the couch and out my door, to struggle through the cold and the wind and the snow, to struggle uphill for almost two miles. The thing that compels me into that struggle is that I am continually amazed by the beauty of being outside. The beauty of, 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 of what I know that I'm going to find in the woods. Right? I wish this was Yosemite or the Grand Canyon or someplace in the Rockies. It's not. We live in Mannheim. This is the best that I can do for now. But even here, there is beauty all around us. And it's that beauty that compels me to get out into the woods. I'm so hooked on experiencing that beauty that I don't think that I could stop trail running. Even though lots of times it is a fight, I don't think that I could stop trail running even if I wanted to. Because it's the beauty of what I know that I'm going to find in the woods that compels me to run. And it's exactly what John is up to here. Seeing the beauty of Jesus is the key to winning your fight for obedience. John wants you to be so compelled to obey God because you are captivated by the beauty of all that, that he has done for you through Christ. That it is the beauty of Jesus. All that he has done is doing and will do for you as you put your trust in him that the, that the desire for the beauty of Christ is far greater than the desire for the beauty of your sin. 
Let me explain what I mean that or what I mean by saying the beauty of your sin. See, you get to choose what you will allow to capture your heart. If you are choosing sin, that's losing your fight for obedience. If you are choosing sin, then at some level, you are saying that your sin is more beautiful to you than Jesus. Be it that your sin is fast, it's instant gratification. Be it that your sin is fun. Be it that your sin is is just easier than going God's way. Be it that your sin allows you to navigate life on your own terms. Be it that your sin asks little of you, at least in the beginning. Be it that your sin seems like it puts you in control. Be it that your sin is just where you naturally go. It's become your default. So the question becomes, how will you cultivate your ability to see the beauty of Jesus as more beautiful to you than your sin? How will you cultivate your ability to see the beauty of Jesus every single day? That's why I will always encourage you to meet God in his word on a regular basis. It's the primary reason that we're doing these Monday, Wednesday, Friday email. If you've got no idea what I'm talking about, you're missing out. So far, about 175 of us have opted into this thing. If you want to be a part of this, my email address is on the back of the bulletin. Just put 1 John in the subject line and send that email to me, and I'll get you in on this. But it's simply an opportunity for you to meet God in his word. To listen to God in prayer, to hang with people who will always point you to God because this obedience thing, you do not have to go it alone. As basic as those things might seem to you, these are the means that we come to know God, learn to love God, and remain connected to God. So what is your plan? What is your specific plan? What are you going to do Not doing these things because I'm pushing you in that direction, but doing these things because you know that you need to recalibrate your heart every single day to be able to see God's goodness to you. That you you know that you need to allow yourself to see the beauty of Jesus if you are going to find victory in your struggle with sin. If that's a victory that you want, I invite you to take this last question and really make that a point of prayer. If, if, if seeing the beauty of Jesus is the, the key to winning the fight for obedience, God, how are you inviting me to see Christ's beauty more and more? Will you pray this? Will you mean this? The way that I'm going to have us end this morning is I'm going to read some verses out of Colossians chapter one, chapter 1. Where Paul cannot stop talking about. Where Paul cannot shut up about how amazing, 
how beautiful, how majestic Jesus is. This is Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 13. For he, God, has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things that we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms, rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him, and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead, so he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you, who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. If being amazed by the beauty of Jesus is the key to winning your fight for obedience, will you choose? Will you choose to see that beauty?